for this past summer, uh, we've been through a series through the book of Revelation, and uh, I'm sure there's some out there that are ready just to move on from this, and we're going to do that tonight. We're going to move on. But I think it's important for us to kind of zero in on where God had us for that time and how we're going to transition out of it. So for about seven weeks, we were in the book of Revelation, and we had this account of Jesus writing these letters to this group of people, this church, and evaluating them, telling them what they were doing right and encouraging them in that, and telling them what they were doing wrong and kind of sending some uh, correction there. And our, our goal as interns and elders was to uh, help you find your place in that story and each week where you could relate to that. And I think uh, through all the letters, if you look generally, I think we all desire that we would be in the camp of encouragement, that we want Jesus to look at us and say, no, you're doing good. I want to encourage you that. And at the same time, we want him to uh, not have to rebuke us. We want to avoid that at all costs. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but when, when our motivation for that can be a little skewed, um, it's just not good. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Colossians. Chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, we see uh, Paul write to the the church here and uh, really just paint a beautiful picture, a really great blueprint for for sanctification, really, for living a life that is worthy of him. And so uh, I'm going to read it if you want to read along with me. Colossians 1, we're going to be starting in verse 9. It says, And so, from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of him. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share into the inheritance of saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. So we have a lot in those uh, run-on sentences there that Paul wrote. And uh, again, uh, just a really great blueprint of sanctification. And, And like it was important for us to understand the context of all the letters and revelation. It's important for us to understand the context here because it's pretty crucial. So in Colossae, in this town, there are these uh, false teachers and these heretics that are among them, and they are um, presenting teaching that is contrary to the gospel. They, uh, if you've heard of Gnosticism, this is the forerunner of that false teaching. And basically what they were saying was that their faith in Jesus was not enough. That there was something you can add to it. And in this time period, knowledge was power. And so they, um, they had this weird idea of dualism. So the, the body they thought was really like inherently evil and the soul was inherently good. And so this knowledge that they uh, presented said that you could be released from that bondage, which is super weird. And then um, they also thought that this knowledge wasn't available 
in Jesus and that you could obtain it through these false teachers. And so there's just a lot of weirdness going on right now uh, in, this, in this text. And Paul is praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God. That nothing else outside of that was true knowledge and that knowledge in God alone was worthy. And for these false teachers, uh, the knowledge was the end goal. Like I said, knowledge is power. It was knowledge for knowledge's sake. But Paul is writing to them, and he's saying, no, this knowledge and this spiritual wisdom and this understanding, it's just a means to an end. It has practical implications. Everywhere in Scripture where uh, these three virtues of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, they always have a practical implication to it. And so in this text, we see very clearly what... uh, the implications are, if you look in verse, sorry, in 9 again, uh, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And so this is where we're going to camp out for our, our time together, is this idea that we are called to live a life that is worthy of the Lord. And before I get into that, um, I just want to set up this mindset that we have to have before we dig into this. Because uh, we can assume that this means salvation through works. We can assume this means earning God's favor through uh, our actions. And that's not what's going on here. We're not trying to earn his favor. We're not trying to gain rewards or anything like that. And what helped me think about it was if you think about a child and a parent. So for when I was younger... I, I felt compelled to live, to be good as a kid in order to gain my parents' favor or to avoid punishment from them. It was all obligation. It was all compulsion. But then a couple of years ago, when the Lord saved me, my mindset changed from that obligation to be voluntary, where I saw how much they loved me and how much they had sacrificed for me and how much they wanted my good and that compulsion, it turned into just gratitude. It wasn't, uh, I wasn't trying to earn their favor. I wanted to live a life that honored their efforts in raising me. And that's, that's the mindset we have to have when we dig through this. Is it's not uh, salvation through works. We know in Ephesians 2, Paul tells us that we are saved uh, through grace by faith. And so it's not earning God's favor. It's an internal, external expression of an inward reality. We are living the way that Jesus died for us to live. And so that is the mindset that we have to have when we break this apart. Is that it's a natural expression of our faith. Okay, so, like I said, Paul lays a blueprint for the sanctification process. And if you're a note-taker, there's going to be four points in this. He lays out four characteristics, I guess you would say, of a life that pleases the Lord. And so the first one we find in verse 10 says, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. That living a life that pleases the Lord involves bearing fruit. And again, just like we said, if we have that mindset, this is not uh, salvation through works. The fruit is not a requirement of grace. It's a result of grace. It is not a requirement of a righteous relationship with Jesus. It is a result of that. 
And so there's, there's two ways you could think of bearing fruit. There's a, a personal way where we are bearing fruit. We are being conformed into the image of Jesus, that him, uh, his life flowing through us like a branch in a tree trunk is producing that fruit and our character changes and we look like him and we talk like him and we act like him. And there's also, um, I guess you can call it like a, a more evangelism way of us bearing fruit displays the kingdom and advances the kingdom and shows other, others who our God is. And for a church that is very well versed in John chapter 15, when he talks about uh, Jesus identifying himself as the true vine and us as the branches and that we can bear no fruit apart from him, 15.8 says that uh, the Father is glorified by this, that through our fruit others may see him and he will prove to be our, his disciples. We have to bear fruit when we live a life that is worthy of him. Our lives begin to look like him and when we begin to be able to, be able to see this love and this patience and this kindness and all the fruit of the Spirit that is being displayed naturally through our lives. So that would be the first characteristic of a life that pleases the Lord. That's a manner worthy of him is bearing fruit. The second one would be increasing in the knowledge of him. So Paul, he writes this letter to the Colossians and in the section before the one we read, he says that he, found a, he has a report that they have been found in Christ. So he knows that they have received the gospel. He knows that they are Christians. But he prays that they would continue to know him. And that we have this word, this Bible, this gift, where Jesus reveals himself to us. It's not a to-do list or anything like that. That we have a record of Jesus' life. One of the reasons he came to the earth was to reveal the Father to us. And so we, we know God. So we pray. We grow in knowledge of him. We spend time with him. When you, when you love someone, you spend time with them. And you get to know them better. And we will never exhaust the information and the character that we can know about God. We will never exhaust that. There will always be something to learn. It's not a legalism. It's not a to-do list. It's just a, a personal relationship. That when we humble ourselves and we ask him to teach us, he does that. So this past week, uh, myself and a couple of our college students went to uh, Gloriata, New Mexico for this, uh, what they call Collegiate Week. And it's basically, it's like passion, but substitute the hipsters for hammocks. And uh, so there's a lot of speakers and a lot of sessions and stuff like that. But there's also like times when you can just go outside and hike and stuff like that. And one day around 8 in the morning, Steve Masters, who's the BCM director at LSU, uh, he, he asked me if I wanted to play golf with him. And uh, I was like, absolutely, absolutely. And so outside of that time, uh, I hardly think about the game of golf or ever want to play it because it's the most frustrating sport in the world. But there was something different about me playing with Steve. And uh, I improved significantly, which doesn't say much because I started very low. But thanks. Uh, 
But sometimes when I watch golf on television, I think, I can do that. How hard is it to hit a ball? It can't be that difficult. And in the very little time that I've tried to do it, it's failed miserably. Which tells me that I can't will myself to play golf. It's not something I can just observe and get out there and try. It's not something I can just pick up randomly. But I improved when I play with Steve because I have a relationship with Steve. And I know how he operates. And I, he knows how to teach. He's done this before. This is, this is his, his thing, is to teach students how to play golf. And so he knows what to look for. He knows how to make corrections. He knows all of that. And I think that our relationship with God is, in a weird way, very similar. The fact that we have to have a relationship with him, and it has to be nurtured. That we constantly seek him, and we learn to hear his voice. And he knows us, and he's a personal God who knows uniquely how to speak to us. So he speaks to me differently than he speaks to this person and this person. But the, the Steve Golf illustration, there's a huge flaw in it, and this is what it is. As much as Steve wants to think, he's not a pro at golf. He's not the best golfer. He's not the best teacher. So when I'm playing with him, no matter how, how much he corrects my form or my handle on the club or anything like that, as much as he wants to, I can only get so much better because my teacher is not infinite at the game of golf. Jesus is infinitely good at leading our sanctification. There's no one better. He's done it. He's lived a life that glorifies and pleases the Father. He's sitting at the right hand right now, interceding for us. He knows how to lead us in that. So our potential in sanctification is vastly greater than my potential at playing golf, learning from Steve. We spend time with him, and we nurture that relationship. It's not legalism. We should be blown away that the creator of the universe has given us this record because he knew that we would need it. He knew that we would need to continually seek him in that, that our broken world would lie to us about things about him and about ourselves and that we would need to renew ourselves and renew our minds. So that would be the second one. First one would be, in a a life that pleases the Lord, that we bear fruit, that he bears fruit through us. The second one would be, we increase in the knowledge of him, that we nurture that relationship and we let him teach us and we show others how good our God is. The third one is that we are strengthened by him. Verse 11 says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. We are strengthened by him that we don't do our sanctification through our own power because we were not created to do that. He empowers our efforts and we live from his power. One of the commentaries I read said that uh, a wealthy man who who gives money, he can give uh, a significant portion or he can give uh, very little. So let's say a millionaire. A millionaire who gives money can give $5 or he can give $500,000. 
But a wealthy man who gives in accordance to his wealth gives substantially. And we see right here that we are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That the power that Jesus lived from, the power that spoke the world into existence by his mouth, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, is at work among us. We have total access to it. When I was in, when I was an undergrad a couple of years ago, I was your typical poor college student, and I remember there was a subway right by our apartment, so we ate there like six out of the seven days a week. Um, and I remember having to check my phone, check the my bank account on my phone to see how much money I had. So I had X amount of dollars, and I wasn't going to get any more dollars until next week. So I had to be very frugal with my money, had to get a game plan. So I could eat Subway on Tuesday, but probably not on Wednesday. I could go here with my friends, but I probably couldn't do this. I had to be very frugal. I had to ration it. This is not how God's power operates. He doesn't have to ration it. He doesn't have to wait until next week and he gets more and then he can give it out. It's freely given to us in abundance. It's an endless supply of infinite power. And this is what we have to live from. We say a lot, we live for God and from God. This is the from part. This is the power that we're living under. And we're giving this power, it says, for all endurance and patience with joy. That our sanctification process, when we are conformed in the image of God that lives a life that pleases Him, that we can make it through the things that are coming against us when we get impatient about our process, saying, I wish I was here, but I'm not. And I see that person, and I I want so badly to, to do that like them, and I can't. We can. We can have patience, we can have joy, we can have endurance because he has empowered us. We're not living from our own power. We weren't created to. So that's the third one. Characteristics of living a life that pleases the Lord. First would be bearing fruit. Second would be growing in the knowledge of God. The third would be strengthened by him. And the fourth is giving thanks. Verse 12 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That because of who he is and all the things that we just said, that he's bearing fruit among us, that we're growing in him, that we're strengthened by him, the only appropriate response is gratitude and praise and thanksgiving. It's the only appropriate response. Just as we don't live from our own power and sanctification, we don't receive the credit for it. He receives the praise. He is worthy of this. We praise and adore him. And there's a... I could be up here forever saying why we praise him and why we're thankful for him. But in this text in the Pacific, it says, We give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And so, if you think about 
the qualified part. We've all, at some point, I'm sure, experienced having to qualify ourselves for something. So we go to school, and we get good grades, and we graduate, and we get this degree. And then maybe we go to grad school and get this degree. And we get volunteer hours and experience, and then we go to a job, and we give them our resume. And we say, I'm qualified for this job. These are the things that I've done. I've accomplished these things. But it doesn't say that we qualified ourselves here. It says we praise him, we give thanks to the Father, because he has qualified us. And that qualified is past tense. It's done. It's finished. That we couldn't do it ourselves. And that through Jesus, through his uh, death and resurrection, we are qualified now. And then the section about sharing inheritance with the saints in light. This is a throwback to the Israelites. And so he delivered them from slavery. And he gave them an inheritance to be his people. And he gave them a land and a possession. And we are grafted into that. But in a greater inheritance because we have Christ. The hope of glory that lives inside of us. So we, we join them in the inheritance. And I made a list that took me about 15 seconds of things that we inherit because of that, because he has qualified us. So imagine if I had given this more thought. But these are some things I wrote down that we inherit because he has qualified us. We inherit him. Seems pretty basic, but we get to have a relationship with the creator of the universe because of Jesus. We inherit abundant life now. That it's not something for heaven or the new earth, We can have it now. Also, he gives us eternal life in the future. We inherit the kingdom of God where we are tuned in to what's really going on, how the kingdom really operates. We think differently. We talk differently. We see things from a different perspective because of the kingdom. We inherit a new identity. It's not shaking anymore. It's not in what we do or who we date or who we marry or our kids or anything like that. We rest in the fact that we are sons and daughters of God because of what Jesus has done, that he has qualified us. The Father has qualified us. And then going to 13. 13 and 14 could really be its own sermon, so I'm not going to go super in-depth with this because I just don't have time. It says, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Again, that he has delivered us, he has rescued from the dominion of darkness, from our rebellion, from our ignorance to our sin, to, the, to this world that's broken. He's rescued us and delivered us, and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. In the Greek, that word uh, transferred, it means if you were to take someone um, from a city, move them to another, and reestablish them there, and they are a permanent citizen. So if we're not blown away by everything that he's done for us, he's also transferred us to his kingdom and made us permanent residents there. Uh, That should just blow us away. We have been redeemed. He's forgiven our sins. He's blotted out our iniquity. 
This is everything that he's done. And so for the application for us, I hope that there is, you've, ex, ex, um, you've seen a pattern in this. Through the four characteristics that, uh, that he's, he bears fruit through us. He's the one bearing the fruit. That we grow in the knowledge of him. That we're learning from him. It's his knowledge and he's giving it to us. That we are strengthened by him. That we don't operate from our own power, but we operate from him. All of these things he's doing, he's empowering, he's doing this, he's working among us. And then the last one, we give him thanks. So this is how sanctification is supposed to operate. Very cyclical. He empowers, he empowers, I guess, whatever. He empowers, he receives the credit. He works, he receives the glory. He is the origin and the end point of our sanctification. And that's the way that we were created. Now, do we have a role? Do we just sit back and be passive? No. We have a role. But ultimately, he is doing this among us. We're just the conduits of it. That he bears the fruit, but we put the effort in. That he imparts his knowledge on us, but we are responsible for seeking him. And he strengthens us, but we have to tap into that source. We can't just assume it's going to happen. We have to be intentional with it. And then we give him thanks, because we weren't meant to receive the credit for it. And so if there's, if there's a sin struggle that's just been wrecking you, and you've tried from your own will to take care of it, let this encourage you that you can't. You can't do it on your own. And you weren't made to. And Jesus doesn't want you to. He delights when his children come to him for help. And if you try to receive the, the credit for something that's happened in your life, a victory, or if you've been ministering to a friend or a coworker or family, and it just doesn't as satisfying as you thought it was, it's because you didn't do it. Jesus did it. He empowers us. We put the effort in. The outcome is his. He receives the credit. And so I really just, I hope that we can take a collective sigh in all of this and see how well off we are, how set up for success we are. That he loves us, he's empowered us, he's given us his word so that we can renew our minds that we can know him, I mean really personally know him, that he strengthens us with power according to his glorious might, the same power that uh, redeemed us. I hope we just were just encouraged by that. And so the band can come on up. They may not ask me to come back up here if I keep on being this short. So we're going to sing two more songs. The first is just going to uh, just remind us how powerful and how mighty God is. And the second one, we're just going to, we're just going to praise him. And I'm going to pray this out in a minute. But maybe we'll just take a second to respond to this. If there's confession on your part that needs to happen between you and the Lord, repentance, if there's 
uh, misguided motivation, he knows how to apply this to you. So let's just take a, let's take a second. Let's spend some time with him, and then I'll pray us out in a minute. Jesus, we are incredibly thankful for your patience with us. As, as hard as we try to figure this out, sometimes we just we rely on ourselves too much. There's this mindset of self-reliance that is so promoted in our world, especially as Americans, that we just try to do it all ourselves. But I'm thankful that through Paul, you remind us that we were not created for that, that we cannot be sustained by that, that your plan, your will for Christian life is to rely on you and to praise you. So I pray that, that we would continue to seek you in how to do this. We don't want to rely on ourselves. We want to tap into the incredible gift that you have for us. Lord, let us just praise you with everything we have. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.